Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back to Global Connections here on ThinkTech. I'm Jay Fidel, and we're talking with Brussels, of course. We're talking to Gary Kondekar in Brussels. She's a researcher for the University of uh, Belgium. Can you say that in Flemish, Gary? Every Université de Bruxelles. You can just call it the VUB. VUB, yeah. yeah. I, I knew you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, Gary was with uh, Pacific Forum for uh, a while here in Honolulu, and we met her there. We've done shows with her um, in Brussels and um, over many issues over a long period of time, and we're catching up with her today. So first, uh, I want to ask you, last time we spoke, you know, there were all kinds of issues about migrants, there was violence in the Brussels airport, um, and there was COVID. So how is Brussels, how is Europe, how, how is the EU doing here in the wake of Brexit? Mm, so basically, there's a, a bit more acceptance of the situation. People know that, you know, there's these lockdowns, uh, there's, uh, it's serious, there have been a number of deaths here in Europe. Um, and if you count the EU as a totality, so all European states together, it's the number two uh, in terms of infections and deaths right after the US. Mm. So people are slowly realizing there was a lot of protests at first for the um, lockdowns that happened, but it's seen as a necessary evil. Uh, and especially winter was hard and uh, a lot of cities, especially France, were quite tough. Um, and Countries went as far as to uh, uh, stem travel in between EU member states, which you know is quite unprecedented because the EU, the EU is a common uh, marketplace with freedom of movement. Uh, so there's this agreement called Schengen Agreement, which allows nationals with, of certain EU countries to travel. Uh, and that was stopped. Uh, so it was quite a stark realization, but people had come to terms with it. And uh, there was also a hope at the end of the tunnel, you know, a little glimmer that started coming with the uh, vaccines, uh, the AstraZeneca, the Pfizer vaccine, all of these vaccines started uh, getting developed um, simultaneously. Uh, so this is where we are at now. There's a bit of hope that uh, vaccines will come and the lockdowns will end. How, how's your life? How do you feel? You have a, a newborn baby? Uh, you have yeah. to be careful. Are you staying indoors? Are you doing your work at home? Yes, indeed. So I'm anyways a researcher at the university, but I've been on maternity leave. Uh, so uh, it's it's a bit scary, you know, because the new strains have come and the UK strain, which was uh, much more stronger, uh, has now seeped into Brussels. I think you can hear my baby in the background. Uh, so yeah, I'm a three month old now. And um, I, we anyway stay at home and I don't, I, I'm, I definitely, believe in COVID. This is not a hoax for me uh, because uh, my partner had it as well uh, and it's really tough and um, so I, I'm really staying away and indoors and as a researcher I get to work from home anyway. So That's great. Now what do you think about uh, you know the machinations in the United States uh, with, with the contested election um, and then the, uh, the insurrection on January 6th and then the impeachment? What's your impression? What's the impression of the people around you uh, in Belgium? It was all shocking for us, to be honest. I mean, the whole Ch uh, Donald Trump fiasco that took place, uh, uh, the people taking over Capitol Hill. And what was more shocking for us was the Republicans backing uh, Trump even after 
because it's basically a terrorist attack on your own country, you know. <laughs> so for us, we were all watching with as basically as the same as we had watched the 9/11 videos, uh, CNN live for hours, and um, and then nothing happened. So uh, so it's it's a bit shocking for us. But then um, with Biden, everything seems to come back to status quo. As well, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So uh, Joe Biden is back and reasonableness is back. Uh, kindness and gentleness and moderation is back. Yes. Um, call it call it uh, return to normalcy, if you want. Um, the question is, uh, how does how does how do you feel and how does Europe feel um, about the United States now? Can you have confidence that it's back or do you continue to worry that the Republicans around Trump uh, will will be destructive going forward? Oh, no, I think they have the House, they have the Senate also, but they have the presidency in particular, and everything is much more relaxed now, you know, that uh, that Biden is there again. And uh, so it's it's different now, the atmosphere again. It was so much chaotic before um, yeah, when Trump was there, but now it all seems like nothing had changed. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really profound. Twitter is, quiet. Twitter is more quiet, actually. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that people feel that way. Okay, let's go to our main topic. Our main topic is about the, um, you know, uh, the, the collaboration, the partnership between uh, countries in the EU and India as a pharmaceutical country, which has the ability and demonstrated ability to make drugs, uh, yeah. pharma drugs like vaccines, for example. So uh, first, can you can you talk about you know India's pharmaceutical capacity? Uh, how how good is it? How did it come about? Um, and uh, what what uh, markets is it serving? In what products? Yeah. So basically, India has a huge generics industry. Uh, it's been dubbed the pharmacy of the developing world, uh, and it produces these uh, pharmaceuticals quite cheap. Uh, and affordable, and so much so that it helped reduce HIV uh, treatment uh, from $10,000 a year to $100 a year. Uh, I should say probably not in the US because you have your own medical system there. So in the rest of the world, at least in Africa in particular. Um, so treatment per year was reduced from $10,000 to $100. Um, there's a whole um, the pharmaceutical industry in India is very well structured. So you also have these big companies um, uh, uh, like Sai, uh, based in Pune, which is my hometown basically, uh, and uh, others. So uh, Sai is um, already the world's largest vaccine producer. It produces 60% of um, the world's vaccines. This is just one Pune-based uh, Indian uh, pharmaceutical company. But there are many more such uh, pharmaceutical companies which could produce many more vaccines, <clears throat> and they do. So if, I, if I bought if I bought uh, a drug you know, from China, I would have a certain mm, uh, reluctance, a certain question of quality control. Uh, would I have the same concern about drugs made manufactured in India? Mm, not at all. Not at all. I would say. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I have personal experience and. I'm perfectly fine, you know. Uh, and uh, um, our medical industry is very good. So you even have our doctors who, who work, a lot of our doctors work in the US and uh, oh, yeah. uh, and, and the UK and, and in different European countries, yeah. 
the health sector is quite uh, impressive in India, actually. Uh, and there's no such issues uh, with vaccine safety or any medical safety. Of course, from time to time, because there's so many different uh, pharmaceutical um, companies, and lots of them in India, the capacity is not an issue. Um, the value chains are developed. So sometimes there's an issue when a small company would produce something questionable and but then you know there's checks they get traded um so it's very safe ah, good good so now why why is india becoming the um you know the, what do you call it the, the pharmacy of of the second world uh why why is that is that is that a, a decision made by government or industry um where does that come from and how how true is it you know very true. So Indian pharmaceuticals are, uh, it, can, it can be found um, in, in, in most of the developing countries because they're affordable, um, they're cheaper, um, they're as effective. This is what the generic drug industry is. Uh, so India supplies uh, medicals to all these different countries, which you know would not be able to afford uh, European drugs or American medicines. Um, and, and even now it's been uh, donating vaccines, which are produced in India to all these different countries, uh, million. Uh, it just, India just sent, I think, 5 million to Barbados even recently, but also in its neighborhood. And it's promised to send around 1 billion vaccines uh, by the end of the year to donate them. So what, what in the culture, in the Indian culture, makes India want to do this because, you know, it may be profitable in some cases, but oh. if you give it away, it's not necessarily profitable. No. But, you know, what's the motivation there? I think it's just, uh, it's, it's a bit cultural. It's also this altruistic, you know, uh, com more compassionate part of India's foreign policy, but it also adds to Indian soft power and foreign policy, but it's more, I would say more related about compassion. It's also, you know, economically sound, not as much profit as you would see with the Western companies that they make, huh? because these are very cheap medicines. Um, but there's this certain quality of altruism that comes through. Uh, so India might not uh, have been, so now it, it does have a, a multi-billion dollar um, uh, foreign aid uh, policy, but then uh, before, instead of the foreign aid, it could uh, give, you know, things in kind, for example, like these uh, medicines. Uh, and, yeah. and it has a goodwill gesture in a way. Yeah, sure. Well, as you said, it's soft power. And, um, you know, the U.S. knows about soft power, although sometimes I think the U.S. doesn't do what it, what it speaks of. Um, mm -hmm. But soft power is very important. Do you think it's working? Do you think the, um, you know, the, phil the philanthropic side of this from India is gaining the soft power that it hopes to achieve? Definitely, definitely. So, um, for sure, uh, because um, a lot of the countries have not gotten the vaccines necessary, even for, for them, um, for the healthcare workers. This is the, you know, the first tranche of the vaccine needed are for those in immediate contact. Uh, healthcare workers, the elderly population. So they didn't even get that. Uh, but they've got such vaccines from India. Um, none of the EU countries have donated any vaccines and they've ordered uh, vaccines uh, many times the number of their populations. 
Guinea, for example, got 55 doses um, from, uh, from Russia, the Sputnik vaccine. But, um, but when India steps in in this way, of course, it generates much, a lot of goodwill, you know. Um, sure. Sure. The people are desperate and satisfy their desperation. Yeah, and especially during these times, you know, it's unprecedented uh, uh, pandemic um, situation. So uh, definitely, and what India is doing is it's giving these vaccines simultaneously while uh, inoculating its own population. So I think that fact is much appreciated as well. I have so many questions for you, Gary. Um, mm -hmm. Now, has India licensed the technology from Pfizer and... Um, um, I don't know about Moderna, but um, who's the other one? Um, AstraZeneca, is it licensed in, or is it is it developing this uh, vaccines on its own? So one Indian company, Sai, for instance, it's partnering with uh, uh, AstraZeneca to develop the uh, vaccine. Uh, and so it's bought the license and it's manufacturing in India. But the rest of the companies have not, you know. So India is also producing its own vaccine, uh, and um, and various other vaccines are under development in India. You know, the domestic vaccines. Ah. Um, you mean, so you mean uh, COVID vaccines or vaccines COVID for vaccines. other? No, COVID vaccines. So India has already developed another COVID vaccine on its own, uh, and three more in the pipeline. In How about the Sputnik? Is Sputnik in India? Uh, there is the Sputnik vaccine, um, but uh, it's it's not. Uh, I don't think this uh, use because India has its own vaccines. No, yeah. two of them actually. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I would feel really confident about Sputnik anyway. But Sputnik has been working well. That's that's the that's what I read uh, when I was doing research about it. It has been it's been quite effective. Um, well, I think that's. I think it's all commendable that India has the ability not only to manufacture under license but develop its own vaccines. And what yeah. it speaks of, um, and maybe I should ask this as a question, it seems to me that this is an indicator of of times in the future with um, other viruses, other other diseases, yeah. where India demonstrating its ability in this area can step in and um, develop uh, vaccines and medicine therapeutics. Um, or other diseases going forward, and and as you say, become uh, you know the the pharmacy not only for the developing world but for the whole world. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great idea actually. Also, because you know you can get economies of scale with that, uh, and India already has a large infrastructure. It has the industrial value chains already in place, uh, and you know it's a bit like China. It can adapt quickly. Uh, it is a manufacturing hub. Uh, so it's able to adapt more quickly than for, say, you know, uh, older industries like in Europe or in the US. And it has a manpower and resources to do so. The problem is that for the moment, the, the main vaccine, the, comp uh, the pharmaceuticals, let's say, uh, drugs uh, or other vaccines uh, are developed in the West and uh, they're patent protected. And they sell them really quite expensive. Uh, so the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, at least, um, they were going to sell a single dose for 55 euros. That's like $65, a 
for a single dose. Imagine the billions that were needed, you know. Yes. Uh, so and and anyways, these pharmaceuticals in the West, um, they're funded by public money, but they still rely on uh, hundreds of billions of euros or dollars uh, in profit. And I think that's a bit criminal. <laughs> um, but if these licenses could be freed up, uh, especially in exceptional situations, then it could be useful uh, for. Then it could be actually practical. Or countries yeah. like India or others to become, you know, global pharmacies. So now, uh, as a as an academic, as a, someone who is skilled, um, deeply skilled in foreign policy and um, you know, international relations, um, you write you write articles. And the most recent article that I know about is an article where you suggested there should be a partnership between the EU countries in the EU and India. Uh, you know, to deliver vaccines, uh, known vaccines, vaccines that are, you know, <clears throat> popular in the West anyway, like the AstraZeneca or Pfizer. Uh, and uh, even though even though the Pfizer was developed in Germany, right, by a Turkish couple, uh, husband yeah. and wife, they're the ones who made Pfizer possible. <clears throat> anyway, so can you summarize that article for us and, and tell us, um, you know, why you wrote the article and, and what your proposition is there? So what we have seen in the recent weeks is that there was this bit of a struggle between uh, the EU and the UK where uh, because um, the uh, Oxford vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine, they have production facilities in uh, Belgium and different European countries. But then they were um, meeting their uh, obligations or their contractual obligations only to the UK. So they were supplying vaccines to the UK. And the EU is like, where are, where are our vaccines? So that whole set up a whole diplomatic row between the UK and uh, and the and the EU, and also Irish border came into question, you know, and then they would stop uh, trade from there. So it was a whole big diplomatic row, and it led to something called vaccine nationalism. Yes. And this, for me, at least, you know, coming from India, from it was quite surprising for me. And then when I investigated a bit more, uh, and I, of course, you know, observe Indian news, and there's so much that India's donating so many vaccines here and there. And, uh, and it was shocking for me, you know, because all these rich countries, and I found out that these Western rich countries have bought <laughs> um, vaccines up to four times their population. Uh, so it was shocking that what led me to to investigate and then you see you know countries like India have been producing and what they've been asking along with South Africa it's just a side note South Africa is now suffering one of the most stringent strains of COVID uh, virus uh, so they're really suffering in the country they have the highest deaths in uh, Africa and the highest number of infections uh, and South Africa and India had asked that made a request at the WTO to suspend these licenses, you know. Uh, and actually, such a procedure had taken place during the um, HIV/AIDS uh, epidemic before, so it's not new. So, India why why, why did they ask to suspend the license? Can you give me so the so that reason? they could produce it cheaply? Uh, uh. So this is patents, you know. Uh, and I must say, uh, Moderna, you know, the Moderna vaccine had already 
donated their patent free. So they're like, whoever wants to produce can produce. Um, but these other companies, AstraZeneca and Pfizer, they prefer to sell uh, the vaccine themselves for a large, large profit. Uh, and what countries like India and South Africa are asking at the World Trade Organization is to, you know, uh, free up the patents so that their manufacturers, other manufacturers can manufacture them uh, cheaply. But this was also re uh, um, refused. And um, <laughs> this seems really, uh, let me first say cruel, <laughs> um, but also it's not a sound foreign policy, you know? And no, exactly. it's not a sound medical policy either. The idea is the more right. cases of COVID you have, the more likely exactly. you will have variants. So you, exactly. you, have, you have to reduce the cases or you will have variants that are more dangerous every day. Indeed. Yeah, you're 100% you're, you're right. And uh, um, so Emmanuel Macron, uh, the French president, also last week came out and said, what is happening? We should be you know, supplying some vaccines to Africa as well. Let's give them 5% of our vaccines because he realized, you know, that this uh, sphere of influence has been taken over by India and China um, because they felt they would lose out influence if they're not seen as useful during a pandemic. Uh, so um, looking at the whole situation and, you know, the fact that all these licenses are anyways European, European companies, European held, and I think that's where India and Europe could partner together, isn't delivering these vaccines together. You know, maybe the Europeans, uh, and just after my article was uh, printed in uh, Euractive, which is, you know, the top um, uh, outlet in, in Brussels here, uh, the EU announced that they would uh, double the aid to the uh, World Health Organization uh, vaccine facility. Uh, that they would do much more, they would try to explore licenses. So I'm pretty happy about that fact. But then they need to uh, really, um, if they can't donate their vaccines, at least donate to making the licenses free. Yes, they should. Now, what about Brexit? How does Brexit affect this? You know, the EU makes a decision that's not necessarily a decision by the UK. Sorry, can you repeat that? Well, since Brexit, yeah. uh, we, have to, we have to see the UK as separate. And if yeah. the EU makes a decision, because all those commissioners read your article and decided to act on it the same day, okay. I'm sure that's what happened, <laughs> by the way. Uh, <laughs> what, about, yeah. what about the UK? Uh, are they reading your article and are they getting along on this or are they uh, out in left field on, on that issue? I think the UK is, uh, has its own problems at the moment because um, Brexit has been really hard for the UK. So the uh, trade has been stalled at, you know, the, especially fisheries, uh, so lobster trade, and they couldn't get through, so everything was rotting. Uh, they depend much more on Europe for, you know, um, natural produce. So European shelves have been quite full, but, you know, the British supermarkets have been emptying. And then, uh, of course, there's uh, the COVID has been particularly hard in the UK. And uh, Boris Johnson has come, the British Prime Minister has come under a lot of fire for, you know, not having a sound policy first, a bit like Trump, and then, you know, 
having stringent lockdowns. So he's not been popular <laughs> recently either. Yeah, yeah. For them, they, they're grappling with their own situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, from the point of view of international relations, the point of view of, oh, and a sort of global connection, if you will, the name of our show. Yes. Um, you raised this thing about um, vaccine nationalism. Yeah. This is a very negative phenomenon, especially in a time of crisis. And we will have other health crisis, crises going forward. So vaccine nationalism is not something we want to have. Um, can you talk about exactly what the elements of that are and how they can be overcome in the future by institutions that are concerned about global health? Yeah. So vaccine nationalism is when, you know, the richest countries in the world started hoarding uh, the most uh, potent vaccines. They were there. Uh, <clears throat> they bought, uh, you know, a handful of rich countries, the EU, US, uh, UK, Japan, Israel have bought vaccines for up to four times their population. So it's, this is what I call vaccine nationalism. So, you know, they hoard the vaccines first, <clears throat> expect that their populations are vaccinated first, and then the rest of the world can be vaccinated. And this is, uh, this is quite uh, uh, counterproductive, I would say, beyond, you know, the shocking, but also counterproductive, like you mentioned, for world health interests, but also uh, domestic interests. Uh, how this can be overcome, I think, is with uh, maybe through the WTO, I'm not sure. This is what I'm exploring in another article. Either the WTO or the World Health Organization is to have a kind of a mechanism where during pandemics of global scale, uh, that licenses are suspended. That anyways, these pharmaceutical companies receive a lot of public money. And so, you know, the vaccine should be free uh, and uh, patents should be free for, uh, to be developed globally as soon as possible. Yeah, the message is clear, isn't it? Uh, we, have to, we have to do global uh, collaboration. We have to help each other. Yeah. Uh, we can't rely on nationalism. Nationalism is not a good thing, honestly. Although Trump, Trump was behind that. Um, so I mean, are we going there? Are we going there, Gary? <sighs> Things need to change. I mean, imagine if there was, you know, the vaccine patent was free and there could be a, um, a small pharmaceutical company in Hawaii, which could start producing vaccines immediately. You know, that would make a huge difference. Um, so nationalism is anyways is not in global interest. It hurts, uh, uh, well, now as we can see the health, the global uh, health, uh, in, in, in far drastic ways, you know, because if the vaccine mutates uh, and mut mutates more than what the vaccine can uh, uh, deliver, uh, then it's useless to have had all this, uh, all these efforts. Um, the return well, I, are you, you said you're going to write, a, write about it again. What, what your focus will be international cooperation? Uh, yes, actually, I'm writing with a colleague uh, from Madrid, uh, Miguel, uh, and uh, we'd be exploring uh, how to overcome uh, the issues, legal issues at the WTO. So he's an economist, 
works at the Elcano. Uh, so, you know, having this kind of uh, a more thorough uh, exploration, because I'm not an economist, <laughs> so we would be able to kind of figure out ways of how we could get past the whole, uh, the roadblocks, let's say. <laughs> Well, I think I think that's very relevant now, and I think it'll be increasingly relevant uh, going forward. And when you write that article with your colleague in Spain, I hope yes. you will send me a link to it, and then yes. perhaps we can do another show to follow up on on this very very important issue. And I want yes. to assure you also, Gary, that in the event that Hawaii, the University of Hawaii, or the medical school here, uh, they develop a vaccine, I'll be the first to tell you. And at that oh, point, we fully wonderful. expect you and your baby to come over here so we can do a show in person. Wonderful. That would be a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gary Kondrakar. Thank you for joining us here on a, on a given Monday evening, although in Hawaii, Monday morning uh, from, uh, from Brussels, Belgium. Thank you so much. Aloha. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's an honor. Thanks so much. Always. Namaste. Namaste.